Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. It's time to grab some miniature candy bars, miniature marshmallows, and miniature moon pies. Because in this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, the guys compare three different miniature games. They also review Empire's Galactic Rebellion and the Flying Squirrels Are Loose. Y'all, we are always talking about food. Welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 103, The Imperial March. My name is Marty. And this is Tony. And I must say, I think for the first time ever, we are using an instrumental theme song. That's right. We have, because I floundered greatly, I'm coming up with a song title. However, this one, Marty, is because of our five-minute initiative in this one, because of Imperial, the domination of the of the Empire. Plus, this whole week, they've been doing Star Wars on what was it tnt i don't know it's dynamite yeah yeah whatever you know so i've been watching that's another song we could use acdc acdc that's right but it was the fact that episodes one two three four five six were all on tnt in order each night so i would be picking up various ones you know periodically like return of the jedi was last night got to watch the end of it and so i was like man which ones were on all of them in order. So four, five, and six. One, two, three, four, five, and six. Mm, no. Mm, try that again. Four, five, and six. You can deny all you want to deny. Oh, I shall deny. But you played a video game, Star Wars Galaxy, that included the Gungans. Therefore, you cannot deny that they were part of the Star Wars lore. Yeah, but what was the best thing about playing Star Wars Galaxy with the uh Gungans. We got to slaughter them. Exactly. That's right. We took every mission where we had to go to their island and kill them and enjoyed every minute of it. Brings back a lot of memories, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Fantastic game. But we aren't here to talk about video games. However, I would like to do an episode on video games sometime, but not this time. We have got a great show tonight because we are going to do something that we've been talking about for a little while. Well, we're going to do in-depth analysis of three miniature games people might be wondering why are you guys gonna talk about miniature games and i think the main reason why tony is because i feel that the gap between board games and miniature games has been shrinking over time and i think there's this feeling of intrepidation or, or a little nervousness about a board gamer getting into miniature games and we just want to talk about how actually easy it is to get into these games because a lot of current board games actually use some mechanics for miniature games. Yeah, and it could also be, you know, getting smaller because every freaking game now comes with miniatures, escalating the prices way up out of our price range. I mean, every time I turn around, hey, look, we're going to put miniatures in it. Hey, this Kickstarter, we need to get to this level. Oh my gosh. Okay, fine. I get it. But yeah, I agree with you, Marty. The mechanics are there. Miniatures, I mean, if you want to dabble in them, people are painting their miniatures. I mean, take him case in point. Mm -hmm. Any cool stuff? Uh, oh, sorry. Simon, not cool stuff. Simon miniatures. I mean, Arcane. Oh, good gosh. My brain is not there. It's been a long day for me. I apologize. So, but you know what I'm talking about. No, actually, I have no clue what you're talking Arcadia about. Arcadia Quest, painting those miniatures or going oh, okay. to Plaid Hat and doing Mice and Mystic miniatures. All of that. 
people are painting those. So why could you not go over and paint other miniatures and other games? I mean, it, it is yeah. so relaxing. It, it is. And we'll get into that and the reasons why it might be easy to get into a miniatures game. But also, we're just going to compare three different ones and how they're all different in styles. And maybe you just want to kind of dabble your toes in or maybe you want to get into a hardcore. We're going to cover three games that might more recent release games that might be of interest to you. In addition, uh, we're also going to have another segment of Flying Squirrels. Tony and I have some things to get off our chest. And also, Tony, we're bringing something back, and that's the five-minute initiative. I know. I mentioned it earlier. And you know what? It's therapeutic, painting miniatures, until you get the black paint, thinking it's a wash, and you paint your model, and it's like, oh, oh, that was black. Oh, that's not therapeutic. That's just irritating and angry. Thank you so much for following along with this conversation and jumping back to a previous topic that we were moving away from. Well, I was just thinking through it. I mean, you were sitting there with me at Origins when I did that. Oh, man. Oh, that was so... Uh, it just it, it, it just crushed my soul. I had this cute little miniature, and I had to repaint him right then, right there. But anyway, you're right. Five-minute initiative. We're going to bring that because we got to play another game game day. Oh my gosh, I got to come over to your house again. That was amazing. It, it was. And and people may be wondering, what exactly is this five-minute initiative? Well, Tony and I have thought before, it's like, you know, a lot of people go into really in-depth reviews, which is great. But Tony and I aren't really good at in-depth reviews. And the reason why is because when it comes to the minutia, it's easy to get caught up in all the rules and everything. And it can just drag on and on with us. So it's like, fine, you know what? We're going to give ourselves five minutes. We're not going to dive headlong into a lot of rules. We're going to talk about what the game is, what it does, what we like, what we dislike. Bing, bang, boom, in and out in five minutes. And it's also that's as long as we can hold our attention span, usually. <laughs> that's true. Or probably the listener's attention span, if they can make it that long. This is true. So are you ready to get over there? Is there anything else we need to talk about? We got a whole show to talk about different things. So let's get ready and go check out our new segment, The Five Minute Initiative. But first, a commercial from one of our sponsors. <laughs> The Broken Token has done it again. We have placed a huge order for rolling dice and taking names. We've got another order in for our great little dice towers that they make for us that we can ship out for those who want to be part of the Pod Pledge campaign, as well as I'm so excited for this, Marty. I'm getting the big pandemic master series box. That's going to take me a month to put together. And I know you got a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I did. I got some bit boxes and I got another insert for the hobby lobby a case the reason why is because we're going to be getting into arkham Heart lcg so i thought a nice case and tony i actually may do what a, one of our friend of ours did to get a wood burning kit and actually burn in the elder sign on top of the box well that'd be cool as long as you don't burn the box up as well as those broken token inserts but one of the neatest things about those inserts fitting inside of that hobby lobby case so guys be sure to check out thebrokentoken.com for all your insert needs Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, 
one. Recently, we had the chance to play Empire's Galactic Rebellion from Eagle Griffin Games and designer Glenn Drover. Now, Glenn Drover, you may know from his other game that he made for, called Empire's Age of Discovery, which is like a remake of a Age of Empires. And this is a game that is, Tony, it's a worker placement game. You get to just put some workers out there. But what I like about this game, Tony, is that you have different types of workers that can do different actions for you. And you're going to put the workers out on the different actions, and then you're going to resolve from the top to the bottom of the board, a really beautiful board, the sci-fi themed game where you got planets that you get to explore, technologies you get to research, and depending on what uh, types of workers that you claim, they'll do special things for you over the over the each of the different actions. I mean, and what's really nice for me, Marty, is I liked how it was. It was you know going around the table, place a worker, next person, place a worker, place a worker, and you had to figure out. I mean, it was very fast, very moving. There wasn't a whole lot of downtime, and then once all everybody got all their workers place, guess what? You spent those workers, they went back into a pool, you got some to start with again for the next one, or the ones that you built up, so you traded in one worker so that you could get a scientist or a smuggler or a diplomat, however you wanted to use it. That was really nice. There didn't seem to be a lot of downtime. I mean, this game, I could see where it could get very long if you had too many players, and you could shut down, but I think it balanced very well with the three players we had playing and keeping the planets minimized by not letting us go there. That was a really neat idea on the setup. So yeah, worker placement game. That's a winner for me already. I really enjoyed the theme about it. But Marty, what was really unique, and I think you need to talk about is the military action where you had to go to warfare. Yeah, exactly. And this was kind of a little bit different than Age of Discoveries because what they implemented was this uh, cube concept where you build up uh, this military science that's represented by cubes and everybody starts with three cubes at the beginning of the game. Uh, with Age of Discoveries, you couldn't go to just anywhere you wanted to. Here you can. You could pick any planet you want to go to unless, like Tony said, some of the planets are blocked by sentinels or, or galactic ships that keep you from going to that particular planet. But once you land on a planet, there will be sentinels there that you may have to fight or you could fight another faction. Combat is pretty straightforward, but somewhat tenseful in that what you'll do is everybody takes their military cubes, drops them into the bag. You'll pull three cubes. Whoever has the majority of the uh, their colored cubes pulled will win that battle. Now, Tony, some people may not like that because of the randomness of that. They'd rather be able to figure out how they're going to win and how the combat's going to go as opposed to just to pulling cubes out of a bag. But it made for some pretty tense combat during that game. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting there, you're pulling things out of the bag. You don't, I mean, you and I were sitting there near the end and I'm like, okay, I don't have many cubes in here, but it was always cool when I would crush that Sentinel down because I had the best two out of three there. And that's really neat. So there was some intensity. Yeah, hey, it's randomness. So it's rolling dice. doesn't really matter. It really did speed up the warfare. It didn't take a whole lot. But to better your odds, you had to go get those cubes and you had to figure out that because the only cubes were either got through covert missions or or going to the planet, sending a scientist. So you really had to balance that. You had to balance your economy. And the eight rounds went really, really fast until the big battle at the end, the galactic supremacy of the Sentinels coming and decimating every planet. That was cool. As Tony said, there are eight rounds in the game. And there is a scoring phase at the end of the third and sixth round where victory points are awarded to the faction who has the majority on each of the planets. Then at the end of the eighth round is a big galactic battle. At each planet where there are sentinels, there's going to be a battle between the sentinels and the factions that are on that planet. One at a time, the sentinels will battle the faction which has the, has the most units there. Uh, the sentinels will put in black cubes, the faction will put in their color cubes, and then you do combat. 
You're going to draw, like as usual, you're going to draw three. Whoever has the majority wins. The other person loses one figure off of the planet. This battle is going to continue over and over again until either the Sentinels are wiped out or either the faction is wiped out. This is going to happen at every single planet, and then there's one more scoring phase based on majorities at each of the planet, and for how much income you have, the person most victory points wins. And Tony, for me, this is going to be the deciding factor whether people like this game better or Age of Discoveries because that combat, some might find it tedious, don't like the randomness of it. Others will find a great tension in that. So that is the difference, biggest difference between Age of Discoveries and Galactic Rebellion. The theme, yes, but it's this battle mechanic. Personally, I kind of like the tension. I kind of enjoyed it, but I can see where people might not appreciate it. But for me, I'm probably going to keep this one on my shelf. And to be honest with you, I don't think you need to own both of them because they're so similar in every other way. Tony, what are your thoughts? I really enjoyed this one too. I liked it a lot more than his big brother. Matter of fact, after I played the big brother, I did not enjoy that game at all. So I was really you know, hesitant with this game that there I'd walk away with that sour taste in my mouth again, but I did not. So I really enjoyed this game. I'm glad that we have this game in our collection and I look forward to playing it again. Five minute initiative is complete. And now it's time for flying squirrels, short discussions on topics that have our attention for now. Well, guys, it's time for the flying squirrels. They're coming at you. They're fast. They're furious. And it is the fall. So you know what time of season that is for the squirrels. It's mating season. So they're really running for their lives. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, it is. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right because we have a lot of squirrels in our yard. And those guys are chasing them. I guess us guys are chasing no, the gals no, it's all a, over uh, the... Oh, it's the gals chase the guys? Yep, gals chase the guys in the squirrel family. Oh, my goodness. They're just running around all over the trees. I don't want to see what happens when one catches the other, but it's it's insane around here. Well, aside from that, and that was a squirrel moment, guys, so what this is, <laughs> is we've got two minutes, and we're going to talk some topics that have grabbed our attention. So let's do it, Marty. Got to try a new game from AEG called Fantasy. F-A-N-T-A-H-Z-E-E. Now, when you read that, you kind of think it's Yahtzee. And Tony, it's somewhat like that. In this game, it's like a medieval type game where you're recruiting fighters to fight against these monsters that are in piles of cards in the middle of the table. And you have a handful of dice. And what you do is you recruit your heroes onto the table and you roll your dice. To be able to use those heroes, you got to activate them with dice rolls. For example, one may say you need a two fives. Another may say you need one three. And you can allocate your dice however you want. And when you activate your heroes, you can send them out in, in order to fight uh, the bad guys that are in the middle of the table. By doing so, you beat them. You can collect victory points, but there's different things you got to consider over the course of the game. For example, some of the uh, heroes have the abilities where you activate them with dice. It gives you some bonus abilities. Uh, some of the monsters, when you kill them, will actually give you treasure, where it may give you like a weapon or something that you can attach to your hero. But the thing is, though, after you've done your attack, they're always probably going to attack back. And when they do, you're probably almost guaranteed to lose a hero every single time. So you got constantly, you're drawing up new heroes, putting them on the table, and basically building a large army to go out and fight because the monsters get tougher and tougher over the course of the game. One really cool mechanic is there's always one monster attacking a town. If you don't take out that monster, you have to draw a town card, which is always bad. It's usually negative victory points. What's going to happen? You're going to go back and forth between two players 
Keep doing that back and forth until all the bosses have been beaten. Whoever has the most victory points wins. Tony, it's actually kind of a cute little game. It might be something you might enjoy with your friends and family since it's a dice game. Oh, yeah. And it sounds simple enough to where it'd be easy for me to explain. So uh, it's pretty cool that you got that. And who is that by again? That is by AEG. It's called Fantasy, like Yahtzee. Okay, I was going to say Fantahazi, but that's all right. <laughs> it works for me. Hey, like, I can't get it right. All right, so Marty, I was playing quartz with my wife and our neighbors the other day, and you know that that is a take that, push your luck kind of game. Plain and simple. Oh, yeah. Oh, all yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, this was a take that that sucked. Let me tell you. <laughs> it was, oh, don't, this is one of those experiences that you can write a little chapter for, you know, who knows, volume three of Ignacy's board game stories or something like that, if he ever comes out with that. But anyway, it was just so irritating that when you play with someone who doesn't like take that games, they think of you being mean. No, you're playing the game. You're simply trying to win. So the, the one gentleman, he was leading. He was beating us. He had completed the first round in courts and he had 30 to my two. So the next round, I'm out there and there's a card and I play on where he has to go to the mine. All right, that's fine. He goes to the mine and I get to pick from the two that he picks. He picks two of the bad ones. Oh, great. Now I'm really stuck. So we finish up the second round. The third round, he's still killing us. And I play another one that says, I'm going to steal all your gems. Well, his wife goes and says, so you're okay if I'm mean? I said, yeah. So she plays a card on me that causes me to have an accident in the mine. And I'm like, what the heck? Why are you playing this on me? Because you played a card on him, but he's winning. <laughs> it's awfully protective. Isn't I know. She? Well, I'm, I'm just like, why are you doing that? I, I, I don't mind getting the, taking that as long as it makes sense just to do a take that because you did it to someone else that ruins that game experience. So guess what's going to happen? Uh-oh, here we go. What's happening to courts? Nothing's happening to courts. I'm never playing a take that game again with them. Mm-mm, not going to do it. Oh, I was going to say with them. Yeah, right, because I know you'll play oh, a take I'll, that Oh, yeah, game. and uh, as long as everybody knows, I'm doing it to win. We love Eric Lang. We love the games that he designs, and typically if he, pl- if he designs it, it's something that we're interested in. That's why I was excited to get a chance to play Arcane Academy from IDW, which is designed by Eric and Kevin Wilson. Tony, this is kind of a really cool game because it's a tile-laying engine creation game if you kind of followed that. You start out with a a board in front of you that has some tiles on it uh, that's already pre-printed on your board. And what you're going to do is you take these little exhaustion cubes and you drop them on a tile and it allows you to do that ability. Uh, What you're trying to do is you're trying to collect a couple different types of resources and basically you're in a school. You're trying to learn magic and you need to complete assignments. And to do so, you collect the resources, you turn in those resources to collect assignments, which are like spells that you can cast that uh, will affect other people or items that you can keep. Ultimately, it's all just kind of giving you victory points and whoever has the most at the end wins. Okay, you know, but what's neat about this is one of the actions you could take is to get additional tiles to put on your board. Now, here's the neat engine building mechanic. Some of the tiles have like little half circles on the edge. If you happen to match that up with another tile with a half circle, whether it wears a full circle on your turn, when you activate that tile, you can activate any adjacent tile that has that completed circle. 
Now there's the engine building. So maybe you activate this one tile that will give you resources, which will activate another one that's beside of it, which may give you additional resources, which, and then you can activate another one adjacent to the, to the one you started with that might let you complete assignments. It's a really cool little game. It only plays in like 20 to 30 minutes, a kind of a, a real fast paced game, a fast paced game. It's a game that doesn't have a lot of take that Tony. So maybe that's good for your friends and family. I'm just going to be playing cards with them, but I'll trust you on this. You know what? We'd also like Eric Lang more if he'd come back on the show. <laughs> oh, Jesus. A little shout out to Eric. Hey, we love Eric. We'll have Eric on the show anytime. But anyway, there you go. Arcane Academy from IDW. Just recently, the guys over at Stoneblade released an update for Ascension. And yes, I know not everybody likes Ascension, but you guys know me. I really enjoy playing Ascension, especially when it comes to the iPad. I've got all the promos. I've got all the expansions. And now Dreamscape. Oh, I really enjoyed the Dreamscape expansion. So when it came out, it was an instant buy for me. And of course, Scott King and I quickly got into a game and Dan Patrice and I are playing. And it's really a great implementation. I was a little concerned that when it was implemented, it was how was I going to track my Dreamscape and know what cards were there? Sure enough, the boys over at Stoneblade made it very easy for you to find. Matter of fact, if you have the ability to buy some Dreamscape cards with your insight, then it will ask you, are you sure you want to end your turn? Either way, they did a great implementation of that expansion. Now, we'll say one thing. In some of the games we've been playing, and especially with Dan, Dan and I like to put all the cards in there. Well, you cannot do that with Dreamscape, in my opinion. Dreamscape needs to have those cards show up so you can build the insight. If you stick it with all the other 900 cards that are part of Ascension, you will unlikely see a possible Dreamscape. Therefore, your insight doesn't get built up. Therefore, you can't buy those cards. So you really can't use all these expansions. So Dan and I are going to start playing multiple games. He doesn't know this yet, but we will where we're going to experiment and see what is the max number of expansions you can include with Dreamscape. Now, I will say this, I just enjoy playing Dreamscape by itself. Scott and I had a great game, and unfortunately, I lost again, but you know, that's okay. I beat him in another one, having a great time with the Ascension app. I know it's not for everybody, but guys, if you are into Ascension and you have it on your iPad, by all means, look up DA McCree out there. You can find me, challenge me to a game, and I will be more than happy to lose to you like I've been losing to everybody else. We've brought up this in the past. Is that time of the year for the Toy Hall of Fame nominees, Tony? And I want to give you this year's nominees. And then from those, they're only going to select like two or three. And I want to hear what three you think deserve to be in this year's nomination for or this year's winners for the Toy Hall of Fame. You ready? Here we go. Bubble Wrap, that's such a weird one. Anyway, Care Bears, Clue, Coloring Books, Dungeons and Dragons, Fisher-Price Little People, Nerf, Pinball, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Transformers, and Uno. Thoughts? All right, as I look over this impressive list, I'm going to have to go with Fisher-Price Little People. That is just such a great toy for the youngsters. I mean, I remember having the little barn that would moo when you'd open its door. Moo. I love that. I still have great memories of playing that. And for me, I also have to admit, I hope and all the fun that I had, Nerf. Nerf gets in there. I mean, where else can you throw things at people and it 
and throw it off the wall and not do damage. God, I remember those commercials. What about you? You get one more, but I'll give you my two, then you give me the final. So I want to go with stuff that I think's made a long and lasting impact, not bubble wrap. Dungeons and Dragons, I think, is the one because it created this whole new game type that I, that still exists today. I agree with you, Nerf. Nerf has been around forever, and my boys still love playing with Nerf guns. As much as I love Rock'em Sock'em Robots, I can't give it to it. So in that case... I'm actually going to give it to the coloring book just because of its a mainstay thing. It's been there forever. Uh, those things keep on going. So I was going with the toys that has made an impact and still is with us today. And what's your last one? Hey, you cut out bubble wrap. I'm going to have to give it a shout out. I cannot remember, tell you how much Rebecca enjoyed me bringing home bubble wrap to her and watching her go squeak, 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 and breaking them all up. And even me, my dad brought me a big <laughs> sheet home and I rolled around on it. It was a blast. <laughs> when did bubble wrap go squeak, squeak, squeak? Okay, fine. Pop, 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 whatever. <laughs> I'm walking into GameStop and I'm cleaning out the house, getting rid of things that I'm not using anymore from the Xbox and the Wii. And I asked the guy, I haven't played the Wii in years, years, years. And I said, how much can I sell the Wii back to you? And, and he looks at me and goes, $20 if it's in good shape. And I'm like, you what? $20? I just don't realize how much time has passed, you know? A lot, because the Wii U's been out for several years. I don't even count that one. So anyway, Super Smash and Mario Kart were only worth $10. And I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Really? So I'm just like, fine, whatever. I'm not going to sell it back to you. And then I look on the shelf, and there's my Xbox sitting there. Xbox 360. How much for that? $10. I'm like, oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. Dude, you're trying to sell systems from six, seven years ago. Hey, I can't help that. I mean, but you'd think they'd be, somebody's in their market. I need a bigger hard drive for my Xbox, but you know, I could probably go in there. I should be able to pick it up for $5, I would think. But anyway. What do you mean? You say you're, you say you're selling your Xbox. No, well, no, I'm going to keep the Xbox, I think. I don't know. I need, I still got to play Skyrim and all the other games I picked up real cheap. But anyway. It just goes to show that I have not kept up with video games. We said, you know, we're going to talk about them one day. I just haven't done it. And it just amazes me how quickly these things lose their value. So uh, your Xbox One, probably worth, oh, about $50 now. No, it's worth more than that. But here's the, here's the trick is when a new system comes out, you trade in your existing one when they're going to give you a lot for it towards the new oh, one. Oh, is that the trick? That's the trick. Yeah, and I'm sure my Game Boy thing's not working. Not the original one, the, the 3D one now. But anyway, so once again, shock. I can't believe they're worth that. Could not wait at Gen Con in order to get my hands on the Flyer fly, Firefly. How about that one? The Firefly Legendary Encounters game. Now, here's the thing. Our family loves the Legendary Encounters games from Upper Deck. We have both Predator and we have Alien and enjoy them both. Well, me being a big Firefly fan, I had to check this out. So I got it. And Tony, it's actually a pretty good game. I love the theme. The theme is uh, you're playing through the episodes of the show. And each game, you're going to play through three episodes. And it's very thematic, though the missions and everything you're trying to do. The game works somewhat like the other legendary encounters, uh, where you have these cards that come out uh, along the top, and eventually they're going to enter a row where you have to deal with them. Uh, there is some new mechanics that I kind of that I enjoy. One is the uh, Serenity ship is actually out there and can take damage. So typically over the course of the game. Uh, your personal uh, character is taking damage and actually you're playing uh, one of the nine characters on the show or your 
ship can actually take damage. So if one of the uh, the enemies that comes out is actual ship, your ship does damage, and you have to spend what you would normally spend in order to buy cards in order to repair your ship. Now, while that sounds kind of cool, it actually hampered us because during one of our games, we were so busy trying to keep the ship repaired, we couldn't ever get any binding good cards for our deck and ended up losing. That kind of tainted me a little bit because it's like, I don't, I can't buy these good cards because we're going to lose if the ship is destroyed. A lot of people have a beef with the art. I totally get it. Some of the art's really not that good. That didn't distract from the gameplay for me. I wish they could have done a little bit more with it. But regardless, I think it's a different enough game to where I like it compared to the Aliens and Predators. But the fact that you're having to spend those valuable resources that would have been bought on buying the cards to make your deck better is actually spent on repairing your ship. It makes it to me a little bit a tougher game. Thematically, it works great. I love seeing all those characters. I love playing through all those episodes. I can't wait to play more. That is fly, fire, fly, 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 Uh, you want to, we'll just keep moving along. That was well said, sir. That was awesome. Oh my heavens. That was great. So what was that again, Marty? Was that? Fly, fly, legendary counters from upper deck. Wow. Fly or fly. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, moving right along, we're going to talk about one of my favorite games. Number 33 on Chaz's top 100. One of oh Rodney Smith's all-time oh greats. Strike. The game of intense gladiators battling in an <laughs> arena. So I, I've got a little project going on for a friend of ours, Marty. I am okay. I'm trying to bling out the mat that goes into the arena. Oh my gosh, dude. It's just a dice game with a bowl. No, it is not. It is gladiators battling in an arena for ultimate supremacy. And they're up there with fly fly. But anyway, oh man, talking about difficulty cutting foam and getting foam shapes to fit inside that foam oh i think i've gone through four pieces of the big michael's foam boards trying to get this to work i cannot i hope it works this time i'm getting ready to cut the edges so that it informs what i want to do but i will be sure to share a picture out along with i made a very special dice bag for their gladiators for the leather because gladiators should not be stuck in plastic they need to have leather around them so i can't wait to get that to our special friend and take some pictures and strike oh it's just oh it's such a good game such a good game no comment i left it wide open for you man no comment on strike how much time we got left i got 34 seconds i wish this was over because i got nothing to say all right well then we'll just keep this one short (laughs) good because strike doesn't deserve two minutes of my time all right, so our last episode, we were so excited to have Riot Games come on and talk about Mechs versus Minions, which has been all the buzz. It's been the number one game on BGG. I did want to have some post-release thoughts on this episode because, Tony, I'm surprised by the reaction to this game. There wasn't a lot of reaction to the game itself, but a reaction to how the announcement was made, as if there was some well-crafted plan between Riot and the media people in order to do a big rush of all this information and videos uh, coming out. And actually, it wasn't like that at all. We had talked to... Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you. First off, you made the statement, well-crafted, and us? Let's think through this, people. (laughs) Think through this. Come on. 
Good point. So we've been talking to uh, Riot since like right after Gen Con. They said, hey, would you be interested in checking out this game? Sure. They said, we'll send you the game, but you are under no obligation to bring us on the show. We said, okay, we got it. We tried it. He said, yeah, we would like to have you on the show. It seems like a very interesting game. No money exchanged hands. Basically, it was just a copy of the game and the opportunity for them to come on the show and us interview them. So people are wondering, oh, wait a minute. How did you guys all coordinate to come out at the same time? There was no NDA in place. That's another uh, misnomer. It was basically just, here's an embargo. We would prefer you not to talk about it until this particular date at 2.30 in the afternoon. Everybody else was under that same embargo. Everybody else honored that embargo. Everybody else had the game in hand, chance to play it, and uh, and get their stuff ready to go. That is totally unusual, but embargoes are not unusual at all, Tony. We get embargoes all the time from publishers, but typically it's just about announcing a game. Hey, here's an embargo. On this date, we're going to announce that this game's going to be released. What was different here is that the game was already out there. And because of that, we got it before the embargo was lifted and got a chance to try it. There is nothing magic going on. It was not well-crafted because like Tony said, we were involved. It was just everybody honor this embargo. We'll go from there. And I hope that we can kind of move beyond that and appreciate the game for what it is because that's a really fun little game. And besides, the money would have been from us to them. Let's just be honest. That's exactly right. I'd buy one of these for 75 bucks in a heartbeat because it's definitely worth it. It's a fun game. Still playing it. Still very much enjoyable. Well, it's that time of season again where the fall TV shows start coming on. And Marty, I don't know what's on your radar. I'm sure nothing on CBS. Uh, let's see. Assuming every CBS show either involves a doctor or lawyer or cop. That's correct. Well, yeah. yeah. There you go. So you had Bull and all that other stuff. But what are you going to watch this fall? Uh, the only things that we have said we'll give a shot was uh, A Good Place, Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. That's the comedy that was made by some of the other people that we like. We watched the first show, thought it was okay. We'll we'll, we'll keep trying mm-hmm. it. What's on your list? We haven't really tried a lot. Yeah, A Good Place. I, I enjoyed watching that. Um, I, I got to give it another chance. Um, I did watch um, Speechless. That I enjoyed. I thought, but I enjoy the, the actor who's in that and an actress who's in that, and as well as the guy who plays um, Bowie from um, <laughs> from Big Bang. He's in it. That one was really fun. We actually watched that one, and Vanessa was like, "Who is that guy?" I said, "Come on, Vanessa, think." And I said, "Voice." And he went, oh yeah, that's right from Big Bang. Yeah. So, what did you think of it? I thought it was actually a pretty good show. It was a lot like I told Vanessa. Uh, it was a lot like Goldberg's to me. The mom in this show is a lot like the mom in Goldberg's, but we'll continue to watch it. I, I think that that was a decent show. Another show that we're going to try is that time as that show from NBC Timeless yeah, it was, it'll be, about mm-hmm. the time travelers. Yeah. The, the teasers look good, but we'll see we'll, we'll give it a shot. I've kind of gotten to the point with new shows. I want to see how their ratings are over the first several weeks. And if they're not bad, I'm not even going to invest any time in them because I know they're going to be gone. Right. And I think for me, the biggest disappointment so far, but I'm going to give it one more shot is MacGyver. I had to give it a shot. Any reboots, I'm just reluctant to give a shot to, but it's a reboot on CBS. I'm out. Oh, see, look at you holding that grudge over there on the CBS. We we tried it. My wife and I looked at each other and said, ah, we'll give it another shot. But anyway, fall TV is upon us. You know, you and I, we love talking our movies. We love talking our TV shows. So I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on it. And also, I could have used my extra 30 seconds for strike here, but that's all right. We'll let it go <laughs> at that. So that's it, guys, for the Flying Squirrels. Oh, we hope you enjoyed them. And we'll be right back. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Essence coming, people. 
there's a lot of games that's going to be in S, and one of those companies that's going to have some games out there is Portal, who is proud to announce their latest faction in Nurishima Hex, Death Breath. I just love the name of that. Also, you're going to be able to pick up Cry Havoc. You've got the new Aztecs from Imperial Settlers that's going to be available. You've also got, now Tony, this is the one I know you're excited about, the new version of Robinson Crusoe will be out there, and we'll get to uh, check that out. In fact, Ignacio released uh, some information on his uh, website at portalgames.pl showing the differences between the two. Can't wait. If you're interested in any of those games, make sure to check out their booth at Essen or go to their website at portalgames.pl. For many years, Tony and I have played miniature games, uh, ranging from the collectible games like, Tony, remember the, the Lord of the Rings minis that we played and the WoW minis, which we really enjoyed that game, except the bases were messed up. But other than that, it was a really good game. Yeah, Sabretooth brought out the Lord of the Rings with the hex bases. That was fun. I finally sold or got rid of all of those. They were being melted down somewhere. That was fun. Yeah, and then the, the the wild thing. But then we actually tried War Machine, the, the game that's a little bit more of a, a heavy-duty miniatures game because tape measures are involved and, and painting and everything. And Tony and I just thought, you know, let's talk about some miniatures games for a bit because I have seen over the years that the gap between miniature games and board games is shrinking because so many games, as Tony talked about early on, has miniatures involved. And there's a concept of movement and there's a concept of, of line of sight and controlling your figures. It's just that typically on games, maybe on like Descent and Dungeon Crawlers, uh, you're measuring basically by spaces on the board, but we're going to move away from that move, just basically moving a tape measure, and there's not that big of a difference. So what we want to do is talk about three miniature games, more recent new miniature games that have come out, compare them, and talk about what it will take to get into those games, and we'll and maybe you'll see decide if maybe one of these are right for you. So Tony, you ready? So the first one we're going to talk about is from Gale Force 9, and that is Tanks. It's a simple miniature game where tanks are battling, trying to blow each other up. What else would tanks do? That's my question. I mean, think about it. You're going to drive your tank out there. You're going to try to blow up the opposing army. This game is very, very easy. I mean, when Marty and I learned how to play this, he basically introduced it to me and said, all right, what you're going to do is you have these cards. You're going to drive your tanks out there. You're going to use this arrow that can you can move in position, and it determines how many dice you get to roll. Here are the stats on the card. It was very easy to follow. The rules are online. But tanks, to me, is a really neat, fun introductory game. Tanks really got a lot of their rule set and ideas directly from X-Wing. Uh, it's the same sort of concept where you have a measuring stick where you can, but as opposed to X-Wing where you have the curves and short and everything, you just have a measuring stick where you can move one length of the stick or two lengths of the stick. And then you have your main tanks that you can assign crew and upgrades to your tank. And that's part of your, your building mechanism. So you're going to start with the base tank and you can apply upgrades and there's a points list. And most of the games have this concept where we're we're going to play a game and each of us is going to have X number of points, let's say a hundred. So whatever you field can only go up to a hundred. And so the tanks have a point value. Your crew has a uh, point value. Your upgrades have a point value. You put those out on the table and then it's basically activate a tank, 
move, and then once you get range with somebody, you shoot. And the damage and everything and the way you attack is somewhat like X-Wing, where you're going to roll dice, you count up your hits, you compare it against their defense, and they take damage, and they draw damage cards. If it's a uh, if it's a critical hit, it does even more. But then over the course of the game, you can upgrade your tanks. And Tony, like you said, the scenarios are really cool because some of the scenarios and the maps they have set up were actually battles during World War II. Yeah, and you said within range. Range is if I can see you, I can hit you. And I love that. <laughs> I don't have to measure squat. And I knew how to get line of sight, right? No, that's the, uh, the line of sight rules are pretty straightforward. You do have some terrain that you can deal with. You are playing on a three by three mat, uh, so it's not very big. The number of tanks that you may play with, there's only like two or three tanks. It really depends on how many upgrades you want to uh, apply. So it's really easy, straightforward to get into. I had I put all the tanks together. Tony, you didn't get to put any of these together, but it was really straightforward. It was almost like putting together, you remember the old testers, cars, mm-hmm. and everything, and planes you put together as a kid? It was a lot like that. They came on sprues. You just used some simple uh, plastic glue, put it together. They didn't need to be painted because they were already shaded in the color that they were uh, uh, during World War II. Right. And shoot, we talked about the old um, Ravel models that you'd put together. I put together the Shermans, the Panzers, the Tigers, the Half Tracks. Those were the models I built. That's why this game, I guess, speaks to me so much because it reminds me of that. The fact that you can actually color these and put the camouflage. You can take it out. You can bling it out as much as you want to here. One of the neat concepts I liked about tanks was you don't have to show your upgrades until you use them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they stay hidden from the opposing until you say, oh, I got Billy Joe, Captain America, Bob sitting in the turret, and he can take, um, modify or mitigate my dice rolling. Because if I get a critical hit or something like that, it'll get to do that. The damage mechanism, the drawing of cards, that was kind of neat. And I like the fact that if I blew you up, you could still shoot back. You know, you could pull that last trigger, go boom, and and shoot at me as well. All that, that, that just worked for me. I really, really like this game. I can't wait to see how they develop the other armies, the Soviets, the Germans, the American tanks, and see what else that they come out with, the British tanks as well. You could go out there and do you know, um, some battles in the desert, in the African campaigns. It's really a neat idea, and I look forward to playing this in the future. And uh, if that game doesn't interest you as far as maybe, maybe it's too simple for you, or you're not crazy about the theme, well, here's something else that's maybe a little bit more involved, but it has a totally different theme. That's Guild Ball from Steam Forged Games. And this game was on Kickstarter uh, when it first came out. And they're already in what they call Season 2. And they're basically doing this by seasons where they release new models uh, each season and some some new rules and everything. We got the starter kits for uh, these. And there's a guild uh, for each of us. Tony and I each had a guild. And Tony, at its core, it's soccer with weapons, right? You put a team on the field. There's a ball. You kick the ball. You pass the ball. You try to take people out, and then you try to score, and you try to get to be the first person to 12 points. Every goal is worth four points. Taking a person out is worth two. And the game, pretty straightforward. I mean, we both picked it up pretty easily, but now that might have been because it's a lot like War Machine and the way damage is dealt and everything, but I still think it was pretty easy to pick up. Oh, I agree with you. And I mean, there's, there'll be no flopping in Guild Ball. No. You're going to get hit. <laughs> no. You're going to go down. Now, I'm going to go ahead and when we were started playing this, you know, you're kicking at a target, not so much a goal, but a target. And you can build models up. It was neat. Now, we did have the starters, so I'm sure now you can expand out your 
your guys. I mean, I have the fishermen. I had Aquaman's team there, and you had the butchers, right? That's correct. All right, so you were the, you were the punishers. I was Aquaman, and I got punished. There was no doubt about that. You were <laughs> you were killing me, man. Yeah, I was, I was getting some lucky rolls, but uh, the, there's a little bit of difference with this game in the fact that uh, you basically only have six people per team. You need a captain, four players, and then a, a mascot. The stats and everything are card based. Now, I do like this fact that everything you need to know is on a card, and really neat mechanic, I guess, Tony, is when you actually attack somebody because you're going to roll dice and there's a stat that you have to look at. And if you get greater than that, you get hits. But what's neat on the card is like your success, your hits. There are two rows of boxes and basically the number of hits determine uh, which of those boxes you get to activate. So for example, if you have uh, six columns and you get three hits, you can pick any activation thing in any of those three columns. And it could be like deal direct damage. It could be push somebody away. It could be you do a dodge. Uh, there's also the way to gain momentum points, which is kind of cool because you can spend those momentum points uh, to do things like heal up. You actually have to spend a momentum point to try to kick a goal. And then over the course of the game, uh, a unique mechanic too is called the influence. At the beginning of every turn, you issue influence uh, there's a bank of influence that you can issue to all the characters and the characters spend influence to do things like run, charge, do their abilities. So this one is a little bit more involved than tanks. There's a lot more decisions that need to be made, but it's core. It's very easy to understand. Get the ball in the goal or take somebody out. Yeah. And I mean, the, the rules are the quick start rules. It was very quick. But then again, you've got a lot of keywords that you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to, you know, see these special abilities because you want to stick with the main team. It's not like one of these things where you can quickly go out and, and invest in a whole bunch. So it's a lot more costly than tanks. I'll give it that. And I will say, if you want to paint these miniatures, you for me, Marty, I'm going to need my old man glasses times three. <laughs> Cause they are small and, but you know, once again, that I could just, that's, that's part of it. That's part of doing miniatures because you want to make them look good and, but you don't have to, but it will help you identify who's on the field. Because I will say this, the minute you put those fisherman guys out there, I was like, okay, which one's which, but anyway, the game didn't grab me like tanks did. It, it's, it's a very good game. It's got a great following here in our area, <clears throat> but for me, it was just, it was okay. I mean, it was kind of interesting. I think if we had more players and got to enjoy the whole mechanism of passing and trying to shoot, it would be a lot more, a lot more players on the field, I think really ramps this game up and also knowing the tactics around your team, a couple more plays and this game could definitely grow in grow on me. You really have to understand how your characters work and what their abilities are. By the way, measuring in this game is with an actual measuring tape. Tanks was with a little measuring stick. You actually gonna have an actual ruler here because the guys and gals can run a certain distance and they have ranged attacks that you have to measure out. So it's a little bit more involved there. Now, also this summer, Privateer Press released their latest rules to War Machine and Hordes. And we included this in here as a newer game because they're trying to reintroduce War Machine and Hordes to people who have never played the game. And they wanted to make the battle boxes, the entry level boxes, very easily accessible. And a lot of everything that you need to play is already in that box. Tony and I each got a faction. And Tony, I agree, compared to the original battle boxes, what's included in this 
is a lot. You get several base models. You get a lot of tokens. You get dice. You get it's a little paper measuring stick, but they still they give you a little stick measuring stick. They have a nice little map. They have all the rules that you need. Yes, you can buy the full rule book, but the main game rules are already included. So that's one less thing you have to buy. It's kind of easy to get up and run. And Tony, you had a box. I had a box. When you get to the table, you play on a four by four mat, and you're ready to go. Yeah, and when you say buy the rule book, the rule book has tons of lore. It has the characters in it. I mean, the the artwork is gorgeous. You're buying the lore, the history that's been in War Machine for so many years. I was a troll player. I played the trolls and I enjoyed the horde side of it. So this time I decided to go on the Warjack side to see if I could quickly pick up the difference between the two. And be honest with you, I was up and running in no time. I didn't have any issues here. Uh, you know, alloc- allocation of the need for the Warjacks and being able to understand how they work differently than the Hordes player and the Spirals and things like that. It was pretty actually seamless. They played very similar, Marty. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, Spirals. So basically, there is a damage Spiral on the Hordes. Uh, when they take damage, you actually mark them off on a card. And you do the exact same thing, too on guild ball uh it's just that it's different one's a living being like the hordes has these life spiral circle and there's damage boxes on the war jacks which are inanimate objects but yeah they kind of play totally different uh just like in guild ball you allocate influence and they can take actions here you can allocate focus to your like war jacks and everything in order to be able to make them move so this game is even more involved but it, it, the, the there's a lot more rules there's more to do with terrain and line of sight you just have you there's a lot of keywords tony you mentioned keywords but i do give them credit that a lot of the definitions of the keywords are actually included on the cards themselves for each of the units now one of the neat things about having come from the three the two series to the new rule releases it's kind of neat and being able to you know just understanding that your warcaster is going to die that's how you win unless you also add scenarios kind of like what we talked about in tanks so all these games have similar ways of being played kill everybody accomplish victory points however you want to do it but once again the casting of these models oh wow just love the detail in the war machine world now i will say one thing now that they've gone plastic to make it more accessible to people is the fact that on, on my signar guys they have blue but the spur pieces they created little white dots on them so I, yeah i'm gonna have to paint these guys to get rid of that removal part what, what am i looking for here marty the the removal place on the armor the removal place on armor yeah that's that technical term but also just where the spur <laughs> connected to it either way yeah where the sprue connected the to sprue, it would, would you play this the cyborg no this the 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 circle the circle the, the wolves yeah, yeah the wolves the or boars the circle of or boars and what's really neat is those guys were green that's one thing that they've done we don't mention in guild ball you get all the guys on the table it's hard to tell one team from the other they purposely tinted each race their certain base color so that when on the table it's easy to tell who is who and what faction's what faction, which I thought was kind of smart too. You get out there, I can say, oh, he's green over there and I'm blue, so that makes it easy. I like the fact that you can now pre-measure. That's nice. Yeah, I used to, you couldn't do that. And so a lot of the skill of this game was looking and saying, I think he's about eight inches away. Then you say, I'm going to attack. And if you aren't eight inches away, you just blew your attack. Here they let you pre-measure now. I thought that would maybe slow the game down, but it really didn't. Again, this is one of those major miniature games. There's a big jump 
from tanks to war machine, but they're all kind of the same in the fact that you just got to learn the rules. You got to learn how the units work and everything. So if any of these interest you, what we're going to do is let's break down each of these games. Let's say that you really want to get into uh, this, Tony. Tanks is the cheapest by far. Oh, yeah. The starter set for tanks is now I'm going to be talking MSRP. Uh, you can get all this stuff online cheaper, but I'm just going to talk MSRP because it's easier to come up with the numbers that way and be consistent. The starter box for two players for tanks is 25 bucks. Extra tanks are 10 bucks a piece, and you'll probably need a couple extra tanks uh, to give you some options and be able to, to play a, a decent style game. Uh, they're very easy to assemble. Like I said, no paintings needed, no tape measure. The starter box comes with all the tokens and dice and everything you need. So for 45 to 50 bucks, you can have a team up and running and ready to go. And Tony, that's a pretty good deal for a miniatures game. And one thing we forgot to mention is you can interchange the turrets as long as you don't glue them on. Okay, yeah, tip. When you do the starter box, do not glue your turrets in because what they do is the base tank can hold two different style of turrets making two different tanks. And I, I messed that up and glued my turret in. Actually, it doesn't really matter. You can just bring out the other card. It's just the turret looks a little bit different unless you got a real anal person that says, oh, that turret doesn't belong to that particular tank. I wasn't trying to point out your mistake. Well, maybe I was. Oh, I think you were. I think you purposely said that to point out my I mistake. I might have, but either way, it's kind of neat that it's interchangeable so yeah that's a pretty good deal for that now gill ball let's talk gill ball for a second now their starter just one starter is roughly 36 dollars, but that's only three units and like we said we didn't get a full taste of gill ball with just three units you're gonna have to go some more so you're gonna spend about 15 dollars each for the additional units so you need another i said what another 45 dollars right there and then you're going oh you got to make the tokens look good so you gotta put the acrylic tokens on the table right yeah no tokens come with it you probably need some sort of token to track the different statuses bleeding poison and actually mark an influence you could probably get by with bees but for 10 bucks, I think it'd be worth to throw the tokens in. Yeah. And I, so you're looking at a cost of upwards, uh, probably around the 90 to $100 range to get you started. But once you're there, you're there. You got a full team and go to your local game store and get a good guild ball tournament in. So for $100, not including all the paints, because they all need paints and whoo. These paints, those little pots of paints, wow, they're expensive. They're 2 to $3 per pot. Yeah. It depends on how many colors you need to get. I mean, there are some kits that you can get. But yes, once you get into the painting, uh, that's a totally different world because you're going to need to buy brushes and all this stuff. But let me say this right now. I used to be intimidated by miniature painting. And Tony, it's really not that hard. Uh, you can go online and watch tutorials. You can go to Gen Con Origins and take classes. Painting is is pretty straightforward. It's amazing what you can do with just a little bit, uh, with knowing just a few techniques to make a decent looking model. Yeah, and practice. Practice makes it that much easier for you. Because you're right, we we you and I both got real good at it, especially when it came to War Machine. Now, Marty, War Machine, what's it going to cost to get into that? Well, for this one, uh, the Battle Box is 40 But like I said, the Battle Box gives you a lot of stuff that you already need. However, if you're going to be playing... Uh, not competitively, but typically between friends, you'll play 25 to 35 point list. And we typically we pay 35 point list cost are all over the place because war jacks about 25 bucks a piece, a unit, maybe 30 to 40 bucks a piece solo, maybe around eight. And there's different point values. So I added up, I built a little list today of an army that I would play with and including the battle box plus additional, uh, items. And that's not including, uh, tokens. It's 120 to 140 bucks. 140 bucks. That's going to give you all the models you need for one list. 
and probably the templates. I would suggest spending $10 for getting the templates, uh, the spray template, uh, the area of effect template, which are, which are really nice to have. So that one is a little bit, well, it's a lot more to get into. When you compare 120 to 140 versus the 45 to 50 for tanks, you see there's a, a big scale, but more machine is a bigger game. And it's probably a lifestyle game. If you get into it, you probably need to get into it and really play it because that 135 point list, you're going to want to keep um, tweaking and adding and modifying. Again, painting isn't necessary, but it's fun. It's therapeutic. The the communities for both Guild Ball and War Machines is very, very active. We have here a lot of people playing both of those games. Guild Force 9 is doing a pretty good job of pushing their organized play. They just released their second organized play kit, uh, which is available, which has different scenarios and everything. So I'd like to see some stores grab uh, onto that. But there's three different styles of games right there, Tony. You got kind of your entry-level game, your kind of your X-Wing game, all the way up to your granddaddy, one of the most popular miniature games today, War Machine. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I think it comes down to theme. I mean, I've already went through the Troll Bloods and I enjoyed playing it. The time became a lot. When you go and play one of these games, time wise, I think, Marty, you know, War Machine, you're, you're investing, what, two to three hours of playing? It depends on the uh, the Scenario. number of points. Remember, yeah, remember, we used to do tournaments. A 35-point tournament was like an hour, hour and a half. Uh, that's for a 35-point list. The tanks, we finished in, what, 30 minutes? Well, that's because you couldn't roll to hit, hit yourself with <laughs> I mean, the dice. You, I mean, that was amazing. You're rolling there all once. It was special. Yeah, and Guild Ball probably lasts around an hour. So those also three different lengths of game, too, from, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to up to 90 minutes and even more if it's a bigger list yeah so either way guys you just take a look at them all if you're wanting to dabble in the miniatures i mean just keep in mind that once you buy the starters you need to look at that cost after that so you need to say hmm maybe i want to start out with tanks and i can build up if you like that type of theme or then again of course you can always go to X-Wing or Star Trek or all those <laughs> yeah. other games that are already pre-painted and are easy enough to get into as well. Star, uh, Star Wars Armada. There's tons of opportunities out there. And it's one of those things, the whole purpose of this was don't be intimidated. Find some people that uh, maybe have these and you can learn how to play. Uh, it's a fun system. I think some of the most competitive, some of the best gamers I've ever played against were miniature gamers by far. I've played the heaviest of heavy Euros and the amount of brain power it takes to play those to me doesn't compare when you're playing against somebody that really knows how to play these miniature games because there's just so many decisions that need to be made. If you want to find another part of the hobby with the painting, uh, again, uh, I do videos on Throat Punch Lunch. There are a lot of segments out there teaching you how to paint. Joel Eddy is really into miniature games right now, and he's doing segments on painting and everything. Don't be intimidated by that part. It's actually therapeutic. Uh, it can be a lot of fun once you get into it. Sometimes I just paint for fun, even though I don't even plan on uh, playing with the figures. And Tony, talking about all these games just came out. The, the game that I'm really interested in is going to be coming out later on from Games Workshop, Blood Bowl. I might want to field a Blood Bowl team. So anyway, guys, take a look at them all. If you have any questions, be sure to you know post them back on the show notes, if you would, about these three miniatures. We just thought you'd like to. I mean, it's been a while since we talked about the miniatures on the show. All right, Marty. So on the drive home today, when I was thinking about us recording and I was like, you know, for the outro, what do we need to really say here? And I, something came to mind, something I'm playing with that I think, you know, we've 
begun to explore. But I, I'm kind of curious if anybody would be interested in it. And do you know what I'm thinking? Lord, no, dude. It's not in the show notes. I have no clue what you're thinking right now, and I'm kind of concerned. Well, you know, our shirt over at Analog Gamer with the squirrel, he, he's becoming sort of the mascot of the show. He is so cute. He's adorable on that shirt. If you wear that shirt, you might get a hug because he's just so cute. Okay, maybe not. Depends on the person wearing. But anyway, I was thinking all these other shows have pints. Where's ours? Well, we never really thought about it because we're not big beer drinkers. And usually people buy those and put beer in them. But yeah, I think it would be cute to have like a little squirrel holding up a little, like doing a little toast maybe. Yeah. So what I think I'm going to do. Now this. Oh boy. Here we go. Totally. Oh, this is totally unscripted. I don't know where this is it going. It was. It was scripted in my forty-five minute drive home while sitting on four eighty-five because there was a slight rain cloud over the freaking interstate and everybody had to hit their brakes and back up four eighty-five. Oh wait, we're not squirreling again. Anyway, so I'm sitting there thinking, why don't I just go out there and I will post a link to a Google survey and just list a few things, you know, like. What should be our logo on a pint glass if we go after it? Our RDTN logo, the squirrel holding up something, maybe something completely, totally different, or boys, don't even bother with a pint. <laughs> there's, there's your final part of the poll. Yeah, yeah, don't even worry about that. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what people come up with. And then we got to find somebody to draw it, which is a whole nother issue, and then find some way to manufacture it. See, you're just bringing up all these things. just going to cause me work. It's not going to create too much work for you because I'll, I'll manage it on that side and we'll figure out how to do that. But here's the thing. If you go out to the Google survey and we go through with this and they get produced. Now, Lord knows this is kind of like a Kickstarter that's been waiting on for three years or something. I will choose three names at random and send you pint glasses in the U.S. How's that? Will that work? That's fair. All right. So I will pick three names at random from this survey as to whether you think we should do pint glasses. Because, you know, that's kind of neat. It's kind of a neat thing that, you know, I'd be, you know, we don't do it, but it can hold my Diet Coke or my Coke Zero. Yeah, sure. And I would love to get some ideas from people about what they would think that would look good on the glass. I would think the squirrel something on there, but we'll see what people want. Yeah, and we'll make sure that we give them a chance to do a comment field or anything like that so they can say, hey, fools, this is a better idea. All right, so guys, look for that. There'll be a link on that. Other than that, you know, I was just like, man, that, that's kind of a neat idea, and I think we should really investigate that. Yeah, I'm all for it. Let's see what people can come up with. All right, well, very good then. Well, guys, thanks for listening. As always, we really do appreciate you um, paying attention to us or sort of, kind of, if you did. Uh, I don't know. You may have turned us off well before here because of the oh, miniatures, who cares? So either way, thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, on Instagram, like us on Facebook. If you can join the guild, if you haven't, we're almost at 2000. No, how many were 1200? Man, would be cool if we ever got to 2000 on our Mm -hmm. BGG guild. Be sure if you're interested in any type of rolling dice, taking any merchandise, be sure to check it out at Analog Gamer. Like I mentioned earlier for the squirrel shirts, we really do appreciate you supporting and advertising the show for us. The big old plug for us. Did I forget something? Oh, yeah, I did. Snapchat. I've posted nothing over there in about a month and a half, but that's okay. <laughs> so then why are you even promoting it if you're not using it? I'd just like to see if somebody friends us. Oh, geez. Did I forget anything? <laughs> Uh, no. Hey, and if you want to, you can go check out our pod pledge page. 
Uh, and if you want to uh, donate to the show, you can do so. In fact, we have uh, have actually a show that we need to produce, Tony. We need to do our Pandemic Legacy special episode because we broke our milestone over there. So we have to get that done soon, too. And on top of that, because of a suggestion in the guild, you and I need to sit down and really think about, do we really, really want to do a top 50-50 list? Yeah, I thought people would be sick of these by now, to be honest with you. And it's like, everybody's doing a top 50, top 100. So I never even considered it because I thought... You know what? I'm up for anything. I, th- I like the top 50-50 because then I haven't got to do 100. I know. 50 from you, 50 from me. And I mean, I think I have. I've bought 25 expansions to Android Netrunner. <laughs> so just rank those 25 through 50. There you go. I'm good to go. And then I think Lord of the Rings, I have about 25 expansions too. So there, I'm there done. You so your, your list is done. I'm done. So anyway, well, guys, keep rolling dice. And taking names. Thanks for listening to this episode of RDTN. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by visiting podpledge.com or if you'd like to leave us a written review, you can do so on iTunes. So once again, the broken token has come through for Marty and I. We just put in a huge... Hello? Who is it? Who is it? Essen is almost upon us, and once again, Fun Again Games has taken your pre-orders. They're going to have their Essen Air service, where you can go out to their site and look at all these games that they're going to pick up for you over at Essen and bring them back to you here in the States. They can have it shipped to you once they get here, or if you're going to be at BGGCon, they'll bring it to you there and save you on delivery. So to find out more about this service and all the games they have on pre-order from Essen, go check out funagain.com. <laughs> <laughs>